Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. Well, today we're starting a new series called Great People Under Construction. And I want to ask you a question. Do you know anyone that's great? Who around you can you call a great person? Is there anybody? Will anybody say of you that you're a great person? And, and, and it, since we're going to be talking about um, being great people under development, we have to define what being great means. When we hear the word great, majority of us think of somebody who is usually good at one thing or at something. Like we think of LeBron James. He's a phenomenal, what the best basketball player we have right now. And, and we would say he's a great person. Or we would think of Steve Jobs who, who revolutionized computer and even our phones. And, and we would say he's a great person. But I want to define a great person the way God would define it. Way God would say it. And here's, here's how we want to define a great person for this series. It's going to be up here on the screen. A great person is someone who has a positive and lasting influence on others. Did you hear that? A great person is somebody who has a positive, because you can have a negative influence on others. Did you I've told you last week, all you got to do is tell somebody that they're looking fatter and you had a negative influence on them. Okay? But to have a positive and lasting influence on others. Now, this is so awesome. This is so exciting to me because here's the good news, okay? Because the majority of us, we don't aim for greatness. We don't think of us being able to be great because we usually um, equate great with fame. But greatness has to do with having a positive influence on others. So you know what that means? That means you can be, um, be a great person. That means you can be a great person who happens to have an office job. That means you can be a great person who happens to live in a poor community. Because greatness is not about fame. Greatness is about a positive and lasting influence on others. See, greatness is not about benefiting you. Greatness is about benefiting others. Great people have changed our world and they have made a difference in the way we live. You think of great people, they have made a difference in the way we live. But there is no one greater. And, 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 and if you're not a Christian, you would say, well, you have to say that because you're a pastor. No, I really believe that as a human being. The greatest person of them all, without comparison, is Jesus Christ. Only he can change the heart. Only he can heal a wounded soul. Only he can transform a hateful person into a loving one. Only he can forgive. Only he can give joy and peace. Only he can give victory over sin. Only he can cleanse our shame. Only he can reconcile enemies. Only he can restore dreams. And only God can change the world one person at a time. And Jesus Christ is the only one that can do that. Other great people have made an impact in one 
area of our life. But only Jesus can transform the world by transforming the person. And, and I say Jesus is because he's not dead. We don't believe in a dead God. We believe in a God who is alive. And in fact, I would tell you this. I, I, I still believe that he's the greatest person in the world because his work continues. But now it continues through people who believe in him, whose hearts have been opened to him, whose lives have been, have been surrendered to him. And God, Jesus continues his great work world. And that is why we're doing this series. That is why we're talking about great people under construction. Because listen, God is interested in fulfilling his work. God is interested in continuing the work. But now he does it through you and through me. So he wants to make us great because great people will make a difference in the world. Look at what Jesus said. Jesus said it this way in John 14, 12, right there in your outline. Look at this. This is an awesome verse. You may be familiar with it. It says, I can assure you, this is Jesus speaking. Now, Jesus say, I can guarantee you. Now, let me ask you a question. Whatever he's going to say, if you don't believe it, then you're saying Jesus is a liar. You wouldn't call Jesus a liar, would you? So we better believe it. Look at what he says. I can assure you that whoever believes in me will do the same things I have done and they will do even greater things than I have done. And here's the reason why. Because I am going to the Father. So, so there's two guarantees for those that believe in Jesus. Number one is that we can do great things. Jesus said that if you believe in him, you, you, every single one of us, without exception, can do great things. Jesus transformed people. He reached people. He fed the, hang, the hungry. He empowered the weak. He brought peace and joy to the troubled and downhearted. He led people to God. He reached multitudes. He freed the demonically oppressed. You and I can do the same. He says, we, see, you don't believe it. Or else you would have said, yeah, yeah. But you don't believe it. You're like, no, I'm not Jesus. Listen, Jesus said, if you believe in me, you can do the great thing you did. And here's why. Because he ascended to the Father, and because he ascended to the Father, he sent the promise of the Holy Spirit that now lives in us. So now the Holy Spirit is God in us, and God continues his work through us. Listen, you can also make a difference. And that is what I'm hoping to convince you of through, throughout this series. That you were made for greatness talking about fame. I'm talking about making a positive and lasting influence in others. That before your time comes and your time will come, that you can have a lasting impact on other people. And by the way, let me say this because, because and I say this with a lot of respect to those of you that are older. You say, my time has passed. No, it hasn't. If you're still alive, God's purpose is still alive for you. Okay. If you think your time has passed, what you're really saying, God, just take me because there's no more purpose for me. Anybody ready to say that? No. Here's the second, here's the second thing that uh, Jesus guarantees. He says that we can do greater things than the ones he did. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to be greater than Jesus. No one can. Or that we are going to do better things than he did. Greater 
doesn't mean quality. Greater means quantity in outreach. Let me give you an example of what that means. Jesus fed 5,000 in one occasion. Come on, church. If we really wanted to, we could feed 20,000 people. So it's greater, not in, in, in quality, but greater in quantity. I want to ask you a question that I really want you to wrestle with. Do you want God to use you in a big way? Do you want God to in a powerful way? In my office, I have a whiteboard. And in that whiteboard, I wrote the following sentence. And I wrote this a while back. I wrote, I don't want to be good. I want to be great. And you may be thinking, oh, you're just cocky. You're just, you're just, you're show off. You're, you're, you're young. You're ignorant. You don't know what you're talking about. No, I disagree with you. I believe in a God that is great. I believe that his love is great. I believe that his plans are great. I believe that his power is great. So if I have a great God, how can I not be great? Right? See, if you want God to use you in a big way, it starts by wanting him to use you. You don't want to be used. Just going to settle for good. And if good is good enough for you, you'll never be great. You know how God begins to use those who want to be great? By giving us a big dream, by giving us a big cost. God gave Abraham a dream to be the father of a great nation. God gave Moses a challenge to rescue Israel from slavery. And God does the same with us. He fills our hearts with a great dream. But you know what we normally do with that dream? We hide it. We ignore it. Because what we do is that we focus on our limitations. We focus on our resources. And we reason, it surely can't be me. I've made too many mistakes. I'm too old. Poor, I'm too brown, I'm too uneducated. Maybe. And 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 let me tell you something. If you have put God in for you and, and the dream that God wants you to fulfill away, let me tell you what you are forgetting. That that dream is not your dream, it is God's dream. And God will always give us a big dream because these dreams are not ours. They come from God. So you know what that means? Let, let me tell you something that I discovered. You got to be careful what dreams you oppose or you laugh at because you may be laughing at God's dream. When somebody tells you, I believe I can feed the homeless. Oh, you, you can't even keep a job. You may be laughing at God's dream. I believe I could be the first president, uh, Hispanic president. I, you may be laughing at God's dream. God was the one who wanted to form a great nation. So he gave a dream to Abraham. And he, and he recruited Abraham to collaborate with him. It was God who wanted to free his people from slavery. So he challenged, he recruited Moses to achieve it. Now listen to this. God made Abraham great. God made Moses great. And here's the good news. God wants to make you great. God wants to use your life for a positive and lasting influence in other people. Not, and here's another problem that we have with greatness. Not for our vain glory. Not so that our name could be lifted up. But so that his purposes, his glory can prevail. Now, you want me to tell you another challenge that we have about um, 
being great people, sorry Abraham, I'm using your piano, is that God's dreams for us require us to grow. God will always be bigger than you. I want to illustrate that this way. Let's say that you're medium size. This is you. The dream God gives you is not going to be medium size. Here's what it's going to be. Double X large. I'm not speaking physically, okay? A lot of us, we've been good at that. God will always give you a dream that's bigger than you are. You know why? Because he wants you to grow. And there's well, the Bible says about that. You may be thinking, well, you know, I am not where I need to be. I don't know what I need to know. I don't have the resources that I need. Great. The Bible says that in our weakness, his power. Well, the weakness that you may have, whatever you think you're lacking to be great, is what God is going to use and where God is going to move to make you great. You know why? Because when you do achieve greatness, he wants there to be no doubt that it was him and not you. You know, you, you know God told Abraham that he was going to have a great nation, but then Abraham got old, right? You know why God waited till Abraham was old? You want to know why? Is that they were past the time where they could conceive. You know why? Because when Abraham finally conceived, there was no doubt that it was God who did it. And if he may have done it while he was younger, Abraham could have said it. And in fact, he tried, right? He tried helping God. And see, God's dreams for us require us to grow. So let me tell you something, okay? Don't, don't shrink your dreams down to pe people's opinion. Don't shrink God's dream for you down to your limitations. No, allow God to expand you. Allow God to grow you. Because when you do, you will see God's power moving you. You will see God's glory in you. And you will see the great things he can do. This week, I learned uh, uh, from our pastor in Paul. He, he shared with me how he just went down to Ensenada. And he met a guy. And this guy's poor. He's poor. He's a security doesn't make a whole lot of money. But you know what this guy does? Every week on Saturday, he feeds a hundred poorer kids than him. Throughout the week, he works and he goes shopping supermarkets for deals. And every Saturday, he takes little he has and he uses it to feed a hundred plus poorer kids than him. I don't know about you, but that's greatness. When you have a positive and lasting influence on other people. So what we're going to talk about is the fact that God wants you to be great. That God wants to use your life for a positive lasting influence. And we're going to talk about five spiritual things that you need to do in order to see God elevate you and bring you into greatness. We're going to talk about the first one today. And the first one, okay, is that God makes great those who give themselves completely to him. Let me say that again. God makes great those 
who completely surrender, give themselves to him. Look at what Matthew 13, 45 through 46 says. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice what? Pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he what? Sold everything he owned and bought it. Let's read that again. That's a wonderful, that, that is so, okay, can we read it one more time? The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he what? You know this already. I just want to remind you. The greatest treasure in life is not money. The greatest treasure in life is not riches. The greatest treasure in life is not fame or precious jewels or luxurious cars or a mansion or any material possession. The greatest treasure in life is one that every single one of us can obtain because the greatest treasure in life is Jesus Christ. The greatest, see, we don't really believe that as a society. The greatest treasure in life is Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you something. There's a difference between knowing what the greatest treasure in life is, that is Jesus Christ, and there's a huge difference in owning the greatest treasure in life, Jesus Christ. And it's evident in our lifestyle. It's evident in our mentality. It's not evident in our Facebook post. Well, sometimes. It's not evident in, in the stickers we put in our car. There is a vast difference between knowing about the greatest treasure, Jesus Christ, and actually owning the greatest treasure, Jesus Christ. Two years ago, I have two crazy friends who for my birthday rented a, a Bentley and took me out for my birthday. And they even let me drive it. I don't know how much they paid for it. Um, I've never really liked Bentleys, but I know how, how expensive and the, the, the value the Bentleys have. And when we were driving in the street, I was looking around, making sure people saw me, you know, <laughs> even rolled down the window. And driving it, it just, it's like, man, this thing's worth almost as much as a, a house is worth, you know? And it was awesome. Mine. And when the time came up, I had to give it away. And now all I can do is talk about it. But I do own a home. And I don't ever have to turn that one in. There's a vast difference between knowing and owning. And, and the first thing we need to understand, that if we want to be great, we have to become owners. We have to become possessors of the greatest treasure in life. That is Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about knowing. It begins with knowing. But I'm talking about taking ownership of him. So how do you get that treasure? Well, let's fill that out in your outline. The greatest treasure, and we're talking about Jesus, is obtained, number one, when you look for it. When you look for it. 
Matthew 13, 45 says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. Here's what we need to understand. This man was looking out for choice pearls. Are you looking out to become great? Are you looking out for what's best in your lives? Or have you settled? Have you just said, well, I just, I guess I got to put it on cruise control and just arrive to my retirement. Jesus makes a beautiful promise in Matthew 7, 7. Look at what it says. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will what? Fine, knock and the door will be open. The problem is that we are not seeking. We are not knocking and we are not asking. You ask people, hey, hey, how are you doing? I'm okay. How's your marriage? It's okay. How's your faith? I'm there. How are your finances? Okay. How's your career? How's your business? Okay. Listen, I don't think Jesus Christ went to a cross so that we could be okay. Jesus Christ went to a cross so that we could be great because he is great. So that we could thrive, so that we could excel, so that we could aim for what's best. Jesus said, I came that you may have life, but not life. Life in what? Abundance. Listen, are you looking for what's great, for what's best in your life? Don't settle. In fact, you know that the grammar in this verse is a grammar that is not about just asking once. Because that's what we do. We come to Jesus and we say, God, give me a husband. And then we go on and do our thing. This text implies that we keep on asking. That we keep on asking. Maisie is at a stage right now. She's been in a stage where she's always asking. She's always wanting to buy something. She's got this idea that her daddy's got a lot of money and he can buy her whatever she wants. So she's always asking. In fact, when we were on vacation, she, she asked me to buy her something and because I am a good daddy, I bought her what she wanted. And she, and she goes, and as soon as we were walking out of the store, she goes, daddy, can we come back tomorrow and buy another thing? Listen, that's, what we, that's the attitude we got to have. Hey, Lord, I know I got a great job, but I believe I can have a better one to reach more people for your glory. Hey, Lord, I know you've given me health, but what I want now is an opportunity to be able to make a difference for your glory. Hey, God, you've given me freedom in my finances, but now what I'm asking is for more so that I can bless the poor and serve your kingdom. See, you will obtain greatness. When Are you searching greatness? Are you just getting by? If you want to be great, you have to seek what's best in your life. Don't settle. Don't get comfortable. I'm going to write a book one of these days called Comfort Kills. Don't get comfortable. Young people, stay hungry. Just don't get salty. Get hungry. I, I want to show you a quote that Nike promoted a few years back. Look at what it says. They'll put it up here on the screen. It says, somehow we've come to believe that greatness is only for a chosen few, for the superstars. The truth is, greatness is for us all. This is not about lowering expectations. It is not. It is about raising them for every last one of us. Greatness 
is not in one special per person. Greatness is wherever somebody is trying to find it. Let's go after the second. The greatest treasure is obtained, and fill this out in your outline, when it is valued. When it is valued. First, when you look for it, and second, when it is valued. Matthew 13, 46, the first part of that verse says, when he discovered a pearl of great value. And we've already said that Jesus Christ is the pearl of great value. And the Bible says, listen to this, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world if he loses his soul? What profit is there for you to have all that your flesh desires if you lose your soul, if you end up in hell? The answer is of no profit at all. See, here's the thing. I am not against material possessions. I do not believe that believing in Jesus means you have to be poured. I do not equate godliness with being poured, okay? But the problem that I have with our American faith is that we have equated possessions with being blessed. And did you know the devil can give you good things too? You know the devil can give you a promotion. You know the devil can give you a Lexus. You know the devil can give you a business. He, no, he won't do that, Pastor. He, he wants what's harm for me. He'll do that if what he gives you will keep you from what God has for you. And see, what good is it? What good is it for us to obtain, to have a big bank account if we lose our soul? What good is it for you to have that promotion? How's it going to help you in eternity? Here's the thing. If you have everything else, minus Jesus, you have nothing. But if you have Jesus, you already have everything. If you have Christ, here's the awesome thing. Not only will you be blessed, but you will have things. But we need to value Jesus because the mistake that we make is that we value our job, we value our house, we value our body, we value our material things above Jesus. You want to know what you value? Really simple. What you worry about, what you spend most of your money, and where most of your time goes. That's what you value. If... if if, if Jesus only gets about two hours in your week, do you value him? If your spouse, if you say, I value my spouse, but you haven't gone in a date in five years, can you say you value her? Look at this wonderful uh, expression from Paul in Philippians 3, 8 and 9, right there in your outlines. Everything else is what? Everything. Everything else is worthless when, when, here's when, when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my what? My Lord. Look at what he says. He says, for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become what? One with him. Nothing outranks, nothing outdoes, nothing outbenefits Jesus. And when you value Jesus above everything else, it will lead you to greatness. 
When you put Jesus first, when you prioritize, when you learn to see Jesus in all that you do and in all that you think, that is going to lead you to great. Look at what Psalms 119.37 says. It says, do not, let my, do not let me look at worthless things. Help me live what? Your way. I got a question for you. What are you using your life for? I'm not going to hit anybody with this. Don't worry. I saw some people going like this. I'm not going to hit anybody. What are you giving your life to? I want to give you an illustration. If you have this bar of metal or and you use it to make nails it will yield you about $50 but if you take the same bar and now you use it to make needles it will yield you about $350 if you take the same bar and you use it to make fine knives you can have about $500. But if you take the same bar and you use it to make springs for fine watches, the same iron bar will yield you about $40,000. The same iron bar, what's the difference? What I use it for? Listen, we all have one life, right? What makes the difference is what you use it for. In whose hands it is. If I put my hands in my life, it won't yield me much. But if I put my life in the hands of Jesus, it will lead me to greatness. It will lead me to great things. So I got a question for you. In whose hands is your life in? Where have you placed your life. Here's the third thing. The greatest treasure is obtained and fill this out when purchased. So first you look for it. Second, you value it. But third, you got to own it. You got to purchase it. And Matthew 13, 46, that part B says, he sold everything he owned and he what? And he bought it. Now to get the greatest treasure, you have to give everything you have. Thank you, Manny. Nobody, I, I, I thought you guys weren't going to be more on fire. I know this is tough. I know. I know this is tough. To have Jesus, you got to give everything you own. And we don't like that. You know what Jesus is for most of us? Or I don't want to say us. I'm, I'm, I'm having faith in that. We're different. But you know what Jesus is for most people? You know what God is for most people? He's not a Lord. He's an insurance policy. You know what an insurance policy is for? When things get tough, when you need it. And when is it that we usually need it? When it gets tough. Jesus doesn't want to be your insurance policy. He doesn't want to be your emergency tire because one day you'll probably try to go back to that emergency tire and find out that it's not there. He wants to be your Lord. And by the way, He's not asking us to do anything he didn't do for us. Look at what the Bible says in Romans 8.32. God did not keep his own son for himself, but gave him for a what? For us all. Jesus gave his life for us, 
And now he expects us to give our whole life to him. Jesus expects complete surrender from every single one of us. And I know what some of you guys are thinking. That's radical. That is, that is impossible. That is not true Christianity. It doesn't make sense. It makes complete sense. Would you marry anybody that says, hey, you can have 50% of me, but I get to do whatever I want with that other 50%? Would you marry anybody that says, hey, I'll be faithful to you on Sundays from 9.30 to 10.30, but then after that, I am free to do what I want? We want our spouses to give themselves completely over to us. And Jesus said, I gave all of me, not for some of you, for all of you. And some people argue, well, isn't it enough that we believe in God? Can't we just believe in God? And I would answer to them, it's enough that you believe. It begins with believing, and salvation comes with believing, but it doesn't stop at believing. Look at what the Bible says. Look at what the half-brother of, Je of Jesus said regarding this in James 2.19, right there in your outlines. You say you have faith. In other words, you say you believe. For you believe that there is one God. Look at what he says. Good for you. That's sarcastic, Okay. He's saying, good for you. And look how sarcastic. Even what? Even demons believe this and they tremble in terror. In fact, I think some demons are more fearful of God than some Christians are. Okay? Listen, there needs to be a total surrender of our lives to him. What we don't understand is that when we confess Jesus as Lord and Savior of our life, now our life belongs to him. Do you know that? It says you are, in fact, let's read that. Look at what 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says. It says you should know that your body, okay, not just your mind, because we, we give God our desires. We give God our thoughts. He wants your body as well. It, it matters to him what you do with your body. He says you should know that your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit that you receive from God and that lives in you. Look at this awesome thing. You don't own. I can do whatever I want with my body. No, you can't. Not if Jesus is your Lord. You don't own yourselves. Here's why. Here's why. Not because God is a dictator, but because God paid a very high price to make you his. You were bought at a very high price. How much did Jesus pay for me? All of him. He paid everything. Being saved by Jesus from sin and death cost us nothing. It is God's gracious free act of love for those that have faith in him. Receiving salvation, all it requires is faith. Following Jesus will cost you everything. And salvation doesn't end at believing. Salvation needs to lead us to following Jesus. Following Jesus should always cost you something. I want to ask you another question. What has it cost you to follow Jesus? What is it costing you to follow Jesus? 
If following Jesus hasn't cost you anything, I want to say this in a very loving way. You're not following him. You may be a fan. You may cheer. You may even believe and tremble. But you're not following him. Remember what Jesus told his disciples? Come and what? Follow me. I know you think I'm being a little radical. I'm getting somewhere, but, but, but look at what Matthew, look at what Jesus said in another occasion in Matthew 10, 37 through 39. This is tough, okay? This is tough. I, I just want to prepare you. This next verse is tough. And it, it just, let it motivate you, okay? Listen to this. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you're a great Christian. All right? All right? If you love your son or daughter more than me, you're a wonderful father. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. I thought Jesus was loving. This is more like the God of the Old Testament. Or if you love your son or daughter more than, you love, more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. Here's a wonderful promise. You may see it as negative or you can see it as a wonderful promise. If you cling to your life, you will what? But if you give up your life for me, you will what? Let me illustrate what Jesus was saying here. Because you can see it as, I'm not loving Jesus more than my son. I'm not loving Jesus more than my father. Let me tell you what Jesus is talking about. The story says of a shepherd in the times of Israel. And to a shepherd, there were three things that were very important to him. His cloak, his staff, and his sandals. His staff would allow him to defend himself from the wolves and the predators that wanted to attack his sheep. His cloak would, would give him shade during the day and would warm him at night. And his sandals would protect his feet from thorns and rocks and, 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 and would give him comfort. And the story says that this shepherd gave his life over to Jesus. And one day he was walking over to his sheep and God says to him, that staff you have, I want it. And the shepherd says, but, but Lord, I need this staff to protect my sheep and myself. And he says, but I want it. The shepherd says, Lord, if you want it, I'll give it to you. And he kept on walking and he says, that cloak you had, I want it. But Lord, I need this to be able to give myself shade and warm myself at night. But if you want it, Lord, it's yours. And he gave it over to the Lord. He kept on walking and the Lord says, those sandals you have, I want them. And he says, but Lord, these sandals, they protect my feet. They, they, it, it, it covers me so that I cut my feet and I'm able to watch over my sheep. But Lord, if you want my sandals, I'll give them to you. The shepherd keeps walking toward his sheep, not without a staff, without a cloak, or without sandals. When the Lord says to him, hey, son, where are you going without a staff? Where are you going without a cloak? Where are you going without sandals? He says, well, I don't have any. And he says, here, you can use mine. See? Here's the beauty. God 
demands that we give him everything. Because when we give him everything, then he gives it back to us. But guess what? Now it's blessed. Now it's God, his provision. Now it's God, his presence. And that is why Jesus said, whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. But whoever gives his life to me will what? Will find it. And see, many of us, we're asking God to bless things that we haven't given to him. When if we would just give it to him, God would bless them. Do you want to be Do you want to be great? You got to seek for it. You got to value it. And you got to purchase it with all that you have. Now, let, let me end with this. I know it's a tough message. I know, I know you're probably like, Pastor, we wanted you to be back and give us some kind of encouraging thing to get us through. Okay. I, I may have not been a pastor today. I may have been more like a, a coach, a, a physical instructor today, and I got you through some pain, but, but, but it's, it's going to lead you somewhere. But listen to this. Here's the beautiful thing. Here's what I wish... What, what, what I want you to understand. Here's what I want you to walk away with. Okay? Whenever God says, you got to give everything for me, you know the beautiful thing of that? It's not just that he gives it back to us and makes us stewards of something that now it's blessed. Here's the beautiful thing. I'm saying beautiful exchange. When God says, give me your heart, and our heart has been shattered, our heart has been broken, he takes it, and now he gives us a new heart. When we give him our kids, those rebellious, expensive kids, you know, he takes them, he blesses them, he transforms them, and now he gives us weapons for his kingdom. When we give him our job, when we give him our career, those fears, those uncertainties, all those challenges, he takes it and he blesses it. And now he says, here's your purpose in life. Here's the area where you get to make a difference in the kingdom. You know, when we take our finances, which are not even finances, it's more like debt. He takes it, spanks us first, right? No, I'm just kidding. Um, he takes it and he says, money owned you. But now you own money, and now you're going to use it for my kingdom, and I'm going to bless you. See, there's a beautiful exchange. And the most beautiful exchange of, the, of it all is that when we make Jesus our Lord, we take our sins, he takes death, and he puts it on the cross, and he gives us forgiveness, and he gives us eternal life. I've always believed that one reason we don't completely surrender to Jesus is because we don't fully understand how much he loves us. We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare him your God. No one loves you like Jesus, and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. 
If you made that prayer, God lives in you and now you have a new life in him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Day Spring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.